0: Thanks, Sarah. Well, Sarah was uh, right about everything except for one thing. In her prayer, she graciously, <laughs> maybe naively, said, uh, "Lord, thank you for laying it on Taylor's heart to preach this to us." He didn't lay it on my heart to preach this. I don't want to preach this text. That's part of the beauty of preaching expositorily through uh, expositionally. I just made a word up um, through a through a book. You can't pick and you can pick and choose, but we believe that the Bible is the. Uh, Is the written word of God, without error, in his very breath, uh, translated into our language to us, him speaking to us and and taking us to Christ by faith um, through the power of his Holy Spirit. So it's all good. And some of it's really hard, and a lot of it's countercultural, and this is one of those. It's a bullseye text for all that stuff. Uh, But I wouldn't choose this. I would not choose this battle. It's very countercultural. It's a hard text, besides N.T. Wright, uh, he's one of the one of the biggest Paul scholars in the world. He wrote a two-volume, over 2,000-page, I think each, each of the volumes is like 1,700 pages, uh, work just on Paul. And he's pretty much studied his whole life on Paul. He's a Cambridge scholar and yada, yada, and was a pastor, a bishop for a long time of the Church of England. But uh, he said, I'm not sure I understand this text. <laughs> so, uh, no, no, it's, uh, <laughs> we have a pastor at We have a pastor at Heights, Who's preaching this, I don't think this week, in a few weeks, and he has, he's not the head preaching pastor, and so he preaches every couple months. And he's a very careful researcher and very bright person, loves the Lord. But he has a couple months to prepare for each sermon with, along with the other things that he do, does. And he said, he, he gave me literally 30 pages of notes that he'd, he'd, he'd collated, uh, um, curated, I should say, and collated. Um, over the past three weeks. These guys, I've, I've looked at this for three weeks. I have 30 pages of notes for you and I understand maybe 8% of what. <laughs> so great, thanks. Thanks, buddy. So this is a—this uh, is not one I would choose, but th- I think that's all the more reason to be here because this is God's word. And if we, at some point, um, early or late, we have to choose whether we're gonna go with what culture tells us and let that direct us with man's word, which is what that is, or with God's word and let that direct us. And especially in the places where it, it confronts us, perhaps in our sin, perhaps with our misunderstanding, perhaps with something heavily cultural, we need to dig in rather than fleeing or rather than, I think a lot of churches unfortunately in the West would either skip over this if they were preaching through 1 Corinthians or they would just say Paul was, um, he was a misogynist, first century, uh, ancient Near Eastern male, typical, and they would kind of make a nose of wax out of this text. That's not what we're going to do this morning, so I'm thankful for this. And Holy Spirit, come. So thank you, Sarah. And, and it's good to be back. We've been away for a bit, and it's really I've missed y'all. Uh, it's good to be here. So let's dive in. So the first point, let's just dive in here. The text and its problems. Let's let's just point out the elephant in the room, and it's obvious after Sarah read the text. Um, it seems outdated at best, sexist and repressive at worst to women, right? you got to wear head coverings, you were made for man, man was made for God, you know, what? Uh, So yeah, let me just go ahead and read some of the hardest verses. Verse three, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Wow. Verse seven, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. That might be the hardest one. But either this, if this is God's word, then it is for our good and it is beautiful and to conform our lives to it, to try to understand it is the best thing we can possibly do. If it's not, then let's toss it and uh, it's evil at worst. But I believe that it is. And so, but there's a lot of cultural stuff here going on. So let me just say kind of one last disclaimer um, before jumping into some, some of the meat of the context of the church in Corinth and of Corinth as a city and of the ancient Near East <clears throat> um, and there's no way I'm going to answer all of your questions in this text, or mine. I still have plenty. It's a good thing to be able to say, I don't know. <laughs> when you're talking with someone about Christ or the scriptures or theological issues of um, theodicy, how can evil and an all-powerful good, all, all good God still exist? You know, I don't know might not be your first and it might be your last response, you know, or in the middle somewhere. Um, so it's okay to say that. I don't know. Let me let me think some more on this. Pray some more on this. And some things we just can't explain. So I'm not going to explain everything. I was praying about this this morning, and I felt like the Lord said, um, "Less is more." <laughs> so, you know, I'm a, I'm a garrulous person, so I'm, I'm hopefully just going to stick to a few things. And and if there are things, maybe about the angels or about women having long hair or women being the glory of men or things like that that I might not touch on. I'll, I'll try to pop those things briefly. But, And you want to come talk afterwards? I have a decent idea maybe. Maybe. I say that with Trembling. N.T. Wright says he not he's not sure of what this text is saying. So we can talk. We can study this together more. Get a good study Bible. ESV study Bible. If you don't have it, I'd highly recommend it. It's really helpful in all areas, but in this one too. So so that's that, so I mentioned some of the outdated at best, sexist at worst verses, verse three, verse seven, the whole passage is hard. Some of it's confusing, just straight up confusing too, like verse 10, um, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. What? No one knows what to do with that, all right? So I have a, I have a gander, but and I might mention it, but I might not, all right? So it's actually a theological joke, like if you don't know, if you want to say something that's completely unrelated, or you just have no idea what's going on, you can just end the phrase with, because of the angels, you know? Why didn't we have any cups for coffee this morning? Because of the angels, you know? If there are angels in here, and I think that there are, and I think that's what Paul's speaking to, angels as witnesses to what's going on in corporate worship, then angels, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to blame the coffee cups on you. All right. All right. So that's, um, <laughs> that is this text and his problems, point one. Point two, as we move into the, the meat of this, point two, he- head coverings and headship. I, I wanted to add, what the heck? <laughs> you know, I mean, head coverings and headship, what the heck? Um, let's talk about that a little bit here. So the situation in Corinth, there are some things that we, really, we know. There's a lot of good research that's been done. And one thing that we know is that um, it was actually a sign of, of honor, Okay, so let's separate the presenting issue, the head coverings, or the veil that would often go together, or one or the other, and we have a lot of cultures still where women wear head coverings, right? Think, think, think of Muslim cultures, um, lots of cultures in the Middle East and elsewhere, um, but it was actually something that was a sign of honor, uh, it was a sign of, of dignity, and a sign of belonging to someone in a good way, not as chattel, okay? Okay. Um, and of them belonging to you, and so married women, it was it was not only common but expected that in in the ancient Near Eastern Hellenistic culture, where Roman law presided, that married women would wear um, a head covering as a sign that as a sign it was an it wasn't a sign of subjugation. Now men could make it that right. I mean, men can make um, a marital union uh, a bear because of our power. Um, and things like that, but we're actually called in Christ to, to use our strength to bless our our wives, right? So, so they could make it that, but the point was, even in that culture, um, it was a sign of honor, Um, and, and, and widows would wear something similar, typically a veil or a head covering. So it distinguished women from, and here's the thing, um, from prostitutes, from even single women, not to equate the two, okay, but certainly prostitutes actually were, and I'll get to this in a bit, I won't, I won't dig into it now, but prostitutes were not able, there were Prostitutes weren't able, typically single women were not able to wear a veil because they, in Roman culture, I wanted to see, okay, the Romans wanted to see by law, if you were, what was your status? Uh, Were you um, a mayor? Were you taken? Were you not taken? If you're a prostitute, you are not allowed to cover your head, um, actually. And so the short of it is there are some women, let's say you're a married woman and you don't want to show people that you're married, that's a problem. So there are some women that ought to have worn a head covering and didn't want to, problem. And there are some women, that probably quite a lot of women, that wanted to wear head coverings as a sign of being protected and cherished and were not able to. Okay, so I'll get into that in a bit here. So that's that's some of the Roman law. Um, the hair thing, where Paul kind of finishes a passage by saying, hey, look, even nature shows, he talks about hair, and it seems kind of unrelated, but... Um, in short, I think what he's saying is that even, I'm not just making this up out of whole cloth, it's cultural, but it's also natural. We don't want to extrapolate too much here, but basically, um, who goes bald typically? Some women do, but typically if you're gonna go bald, there are a lot more women, and I'm looking out at it, some of you, some of you dudes, you're just bald as a cue ball, and that's great, um, and, but we don't, typically women don't, don't lose their hair as much, and so he's saying even nature shows that the covering of a woman, her long hair is glory, it's beautiful. Um, Man, sometimes when a woman walks past, my wife or someone else, it doesn't matter, like the the you get a if they've just washed their hair, like you get this smell, this beautiful smell of like whatever herbal essence is or whatever they're using, you know. <laughs> I think of that cuz in the 90s they had these ridiculous commercials, but anyway, keep going. Um, but you you think of that, you think of this this beautiful smell of like flowers and fruit and all the things that the they want those shampoos to to put into your hair, and you you just you get sometimes you don't even see the woman coming, you just get smacked like a with like a hand across your face with this beautiful, this wonderful smell, it's almost intoxicating, and um, so hair on a woman, long hair is beautiful, it just straight up is, but Seinfeld, this is not in the notes and shouldn't be in the sermon, but (laughs) isn't that a great entree? I remember Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld, I loved him as a, comic i love him as a comic and um he said something about how like it's so funny when hair is beautiful on someone especially long hair on a woman but when you get in the shower and you see a single long hair (laughs) all of a sudden he's like for some reason when it detaches from the head it becomes disgusting the nature changes completely okay that's so he's saying hey look i'm not just making this up right even who knew that we could guffaw at this text right gosh um this, this is a good sign so even long hair on a woman, na- nature shows us the way God made us shows us in some ways. Um, now again, a little cat, a little disclaimer here, and I'm about to get to the meat by saying, okay, give us the punchline, Pastor. Do we need to wear? Do the women need to wear head coverings? Okay, um, or some, you know, something on their heads or a veil. Um, but before I do, let me just say. The answer to that is no. I don't think that we extrapolate from that. That's the presenting issue, the head coverings. The underlying issue is what what transcends time. And that is the principle, not the presenting issue, but the underlying issue, the principle of the issue is authority, headship, covering. And here, get this, and this is what we're going to focus on essentially for the rest of the sermon, distinctions between the sexes. For glory, for beauty, to image the triune God in a richer way. That's what he made us for. Okay, And we're going to talk about that, like I said, for the rest of the sermon. But before we do, just that disclaimer I wanted to make. man, if you have, so we don't need to wear head coverings anymore. I'm going to try to make the case a little bit more for that. But also, I don't think it's, it's say, Paul, we, we should extrapolate from this text, this culturally influenced text that has underlying principles for us, that women necessarily need to have long hair either. Okay? Um, the point he's making is that women ought to be women. They're made such for the glory of God. And men ought to be men. And we're different Equal in worth, and I'm gonna press into that, but different in role, and that's a beautiful thing that God made. So of course, Satan uh, is going to attack that. Of course, he's gonna wanna decimate that, eviscerate that, raise that to the ground, destroy it, blow it up. How many other words can I say? Because when he does that, he's attacking the image of God, and he is diminishing the glory of God that we see when a man is a man, and a woman is a woman, and marriage happens, or when men and women come together as the body of Christ, married or not, as the body of Christ in the church, which is what he's talking about here. So from here through chapter 14, he's just talking about corporate worship issues. When the people of God, when the body of Christ comes together to worship, you need some instruction here, friends, and you're doing some things that I need to correct you on, and this is the first of those things, okay? And this is really hitting on the distinction between men and women, okay? So um, I don't think that women necessarily have to have long hair today, uh, but for a woman to be a woman, not to cover up her femininity and for a man not to cover up and for a man not to try to be, men make, women make better women than men, okay? Men make better men than women. If you're a woman, don't try to be a man. That's one thing Paul would say here from this text that applies forever. And if you're a woman, don't try to be a man. If you're a man, don't try to be a woman. Um, we, you know, I don't know if she's here today, but Sid, she's probably thankful she's not because you know I'm calling her out, but Sid is, she has short, about as short a hair as you can get. She's a woman in our congregation, um, beautiful woman. She is very feminine, but she has short hair. And that makes me think, actually, of a book I'm reading called Out of Africa by Isaac Dennison. That was a pen name. It was a, it was a baroness that wrote the book. Um, but she, and there's a movie that was made with Robert Redford, if you've seen it. But um, she talks about, she was in Kenya. She was a baroness, um, Dutch, no belgian she was a belgian baroness and she lived in africa for like 20 years in kenya and she talks about the different people she encountered and there was one tribe where the women had very very short cropped hair and they dyed their what they the stubble red and she, she just describes you could trust her because she, she describes things well she's an integrative person she's like they were extremely feminine extremely beautiful and they had short cropped hair so a lot of it that a lot of that just depends on the culture but the point is are you trying, if you're a woman, to become a man or to look like a man, and vice versa? Skinny, you know. Uh, hey, nothing huge against skinny jeans, but skinny jeans as a dude, and and you know, and if you got long, a long ponytail and skinny jeans, and you're you're totally sort of erasing. Okay, I probably get in trouble there, but point is, um, we need to realize that God made men men, and He made women women, and not to try to erase the distinctions. Okay, so I'm gonna get back on track. Less is more. Thank you, Lord. Um, so the issue is not about head coverings, it's about headship, it's about authority. So let's look at verse 3, one of the harder verses, verse 3. But I want you to understand, Paul says to the Corinthians, that the head of every man is Christ, um, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So um, so one, one thing that should be said here is that some people say, okay, can head mean source? Like the head of a river, can head mean source? So, so woman came from man. If you look at Genesis two, we see that woman. That's the way that women, man, God created out of the dust of the earth, but then He made woman out of, in Genesis two, out of man's side. And so, could that just be the case? Instead of, but actually, there are two things that um, that kind of it kind of um, I don't know if ameliorates the right the right word, but it it um, tempers and softens the text a bit, but it doesn't make the punches hard. If you think that head. There, here means source, but there are two problems with that. One of them is textual. The textual problem is that in uh, over fifty extra biblical—that means outside the Bible—ancient Near Eastern Greek examples of um, of this word, it means it doesn't mean source at all. In every example, in every case, it means it means head it means authority. Okay, it means authority. Um, and also, there's a the, there's a textual problem. What I just mentioned. There's a theological issue. So this verse says, if you'll notice. Um, that the end of it says the head of Christ is God. God means the Father, okay? To have that mean that the source of Christ, the source of the Son, is the Father is not, that's no bueno theologically. That's not true. We know from the rest of the scriptures, Paul doesn't believe that. The rest of the scriptures teach that God is eternal in his three persons. No no one of them came from the other one. Uh, One is eternally begotten, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, but and that's even a debate, but they're all self-existent. None of them was created or came from as a source of the other. So so, that's, so the word speaks to authority. The word speaks to authority. Um, now, another thing about this text is that we have we, the word that's translated. If you're looking at the ESV, which is the text we tend to use here at this church. Um, it, again, this is all in English translation, unless you're reading from the Greek right now. But you have Paul... In the ESV trans, you have the word wife, 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 and husband, 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 but then you have um, a switch to woman later in the text. So, is it wives submit to their husbands, and the husband is the head of the wife, or is it that the um, and is it that the um, the wife has come from the husband, as it were, or is it woman? Because the word can mean both in the Greek. Okay, and that's what I was. I guess I didn't say that. The word is gune or gune in the Greek, and gynecologist, a woman doctor, we get that from. The Greek okay, so um, the word can mean that's one of the things that makes the text hard one of the reasons one of the many reasons the NT writes that said, I'm not sure what this text means um, because the same word can mean wife and can mean um, woman and so one sort of understanding of this text, and this is the way the ESV tends to understand it because of the translation is that um, the head of the wife is the husband okay um, and so but also, and the, the authority. But also, you can. So it just depends on what what is Paul talking about in this text. But also, you could tra- you could understand it as, and translate it as the head of the woman is is the man. The authority over the woman is the man. Okay. Um, now, I want to say as we as we move from head coverings in Corinth point two. Okay, the pro- We've looked at some of the problems. We've looked at the head coverings in the situation but let 's move into the third point and then stay there and finish there. The beauty of paul 's command what seems um, repressive, I believe is actually liberating um, one one commentator has said it's when you understand the culture and what Paul is saying here to his to the church, the Church of Christ, the body of christ it 's that his his words and commands about head coverings and authority are actually radically or outrageously egalitarian okay um, so let me. Let me dig into that a little more. Um, so let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis 1 and 2. That's where Paul's, Paul's saying, some of this is the cultural stuff about the head coverings and all that, but he's tying it into, he's tying it into the way that God made man and woman. And so to, for that, you have to go back to Genesis 1 and 2. And in Genesis 1, when God makes, so Genesis 1 and 2, we have two different pictures of how God makes humans, man and woman. In Genesis 1, we have the first picture of how he makes all things, and at the end of that, he makes man and woman. Um, and Paul says here that man was made first, and then woman came from man, she was made second. So if that means that uh, man is better than woman, because he was made first, he's, he's number one, she's number two, or something like that, um, in, in importance, then there are a bunch of things that speak against that in the, in the Genesis text. Number one, that would just mean that like, animals are better than humans more important than humans, because animals, God made them for before humans. Or we could say on on the same note that plants are more important than animals, because plants came before, and so on and so forth. So that's absurd, just from an ordering standpoint, partly because we know, so just from that, but also another sort of pivot to that, another argument, is that there's an ascending order of importance. Every commentator agrees in Genesis 1. He starts with the luminaries, with spaces, and then he goes to the luminaries that fill the sky, and then he goes to plants and then he moves to animals and then he moves and then he moves from fish and birds to beasts that have you know and it's the first thing that he blesses is the beast and then they roam the land and then he blesses, and then he makes and then he kind of pulls back and says he's been saying let there be let there be let there be let there be but he gets to the place in verse 26 of genesis 1 where he there's a pause almost and there's a difference for the first time and it says let us there's a council within the trinity within the triune god he pulls back as it were Let us make man, almost like there's a council going on. Let us make man in our image. But it's not just man, it's man and woman. So one, you know, if you're talking about um, whatever's first is better, that doesn't work because that would mean animals are better than humans, plants are better than animals. But two, there's an ascending order of, it it builds tension and it builds um, expectation and wonder in the creation account, that God is putting together this thing, and the cherry on top of the, of the Sunday of creation is his finest work, the only thing he makes in his image humanity. Not just uh, compared to almost all the other ancient Near Eastern texts, not just man, and then woman is lesser, but man and woman together he makes in his image. In the image of God, did he create them both. Okay, And then in chapter 2, we see that woman actually comes from man. It's a, it's a different picture, different angle, a more intimate zoom lens on the same thing. Okay, so um, they they are both image bearers, not not different in worth, not different in worth, but different in role. Moving to Genesis 2, we get a zoom lens. Again, how did that, where God created man and woman both in his image, how did that happen? Well, first he creates man, and then we see that he lets man discover what? as he looks at all the animals and he starts to name them, what does man discover? He's, it's not good, God says, for man to be alone and he doesn't find a helper suitable to him, equal to him in worth, a a companion. And so God wants to create, have Adam see that need himself and then from his side, not from his foot, lesser than him, not from his head, superior to him, but from his side, equal to him in worth, Different, distinct, here's the, here's the term that we use in this church, complementary. And we're an Acts 29 church, part of a larger network of churches. Acts 29 churches are complementary. We believe that there's equal worth and dignity between men and women, but they're different, they're distinct in their roles. Hey, just like the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Is the Son of less worth than the Father? Of course not, I'm getting ahead of myself. Of course not, we know that from the scriptures. He is God Almighty, ontologically, the same worth in being, the same God, one God, but he's a different and a distinct person, and there's submission there to the Father, and we're, I'm not going to press into that as much right now, I'm about to get to it, and I want to finish with that and then apply some of this. Um, so so woman is made from man, and there again, go back to what I just said about the ascending order of beauty and importance, and there's a build and the tension of the creation account. Cherry on top, humanity, but then shift into the zoom lens of chapter two of Genesis. Here's, here's exactly how I made man and woman. Woman comes last. There's a, there's a very strong argument to be made, and many commentators make it, that actually she is the crown jewel. She is the crown jewel of humanity. Does anyone want to dispute with me right now? I will come to blows with you if I have to. That woman is the fairest sex? I mean, Adam says it for us. He breaks into the first poetry in the Bible. It's narrative. It's historical narrative. It's a different sermon, and we might get to this in January where I might do a slow march through the early chapters of Genesis because nothing right now is more important aside from who God is than who we are and our genders and how that images the beauty of the living God, man being man, woman being woman, and us loving one another and loving God together. So we might, we might go there, but um, he breaks, so it's, it's historical narrative. It's not... Elevated poetry, it's history. God really did these things in this way. Now there's room within that to talk about young earth, old earth, all that stuff. We'll get there in another sermon series. Point is though, he breaks into poetry. He breaks into song when he sees woman, when God, just like a a father brings his daughter down the aisle in marriage and hands her off, that's the first marriage in the Bible and God is the father of this woman. He takes her with tender care to the man and hands her off, puts the hand in the hand and Adam just goes, Bray! and you know, I mean, that's, it's, it's a little more articulate than that, but that's essentially him sounding his barbaric yalt from the rooftops of the world in the, to quote Whitman. Um, and it's a beautiful thing, man. And um, even in his words, he says, ish is the Hebrew word for man, and "Isha" this is woman, ish, Isha," he's like, you know, just letting it all out. He's just, this is amazing God, Isha, wow, he's absolutely astounded. And so there's so many Arguments to be made for the fact that, on the contrary, Paul is not saying that woman is lesser. She's of equal equal worth but different in role. And that's, I think, what the glory, that hard text, that hard word that seems hard and abrasive at first, like so much of this chapter, she's the glory of man. Woman is the glory of man. Again, I will come to blows with you if you have any problem with me saying, Robin is my glory. Like, are you kidding me? Man, when we, I've heard a guy say, like, I love to take my wife out, and when she gets gussied up, just for people can see me with her. <laughs> you know, like, she is beautiful. And, and in so many ways, not just externally, I love that she's with me. It's, it's my glory, man. And so um, she speaks of the excellence of me, you know. And that's, that sounds really selfish and self-centered, okay. I didn't mean it to be that way, and I don't think Paul does either. I think he means it as a, as a huge compliment. Um, and so, either way, there's a distinction in roles, and um, what else do I want to say here before I, before I move to Christ? Um, let me just, again, not, not everything's going to be said, I'm not going to cover it all, no way, Jose, less is more, but last thing before moving into the beauty of Paul's command, let me just touch on this, the beauty of Paul's command within this culture, and then I'll move to the beauty of God's command through Paul here as it takes us to Christ, and then apply application and we're done, Okay. Um, within this culture, I've already kind of talked about how there were a lot of women in this culture, fact, that wanted to have a covering, a visible symbol of being covered and did not, were not able to, literally by law, you could not. You had to show yourself available as a prostitute. Do you know this? No, you don't, but now you do. In Roman law, you had to. There were so many women (laughs) that wanted to be in a space, be in a place, be among a people where they could be on equal footing with matrons, with women that had wealth, that had dignity, that were loved by their family, by their children, by their husband, they could not. And Paul says, there is a place, there is a place where you can do that and where you must do that, so that when you come in here, woman of God, you are, no. and everyone who comes in here knows, I have no idea who's a prostitute, what your past is, if you're single, if you're married, every woman has equal dignity and worth and an equal place. Because Christ has given you his identity in the Father. Isn't that amazing? What seems like, as Sarah said, like this is a hard text. Hey, I didn't want to preach this text. But when you start digging into the culture and into what Paul is actually saying, it is outrageously uplifting, liberating, and in some ways egalitarian. All the women are on equal footing in Christ. You are my, whether you're married or not, You are my, whatever your past is, you're my sister, you're a daughter of the Father if you're in Christ Jesus. And if you're not and you have a past and you walk in here broken and you haven't found that yet, the, the call from us is to come to Christ, that you might have that identity because it is being offered to you with outstretched arms by the one who loved you to death. And that gets to my last point before we apply some Christ shows us in absolute terms the fact that if submission means you are lesser, well, it doesn't. He shows us that because what? He who is equal, Philippians 2, and other, so many other places, with the Father and always was and, and remains today and always will be, he is fully God. John 14 he says to his disciples, have I been with you so long? One of them says, I think it's Philip, show, hey, show us the Father and we'll believe. Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't understand? When you see me, you see the Father. I and the Father are one. He said that in a different context and the dudes pick up stones to stone him because it was blasphemy to, to equate yourself with the one and almighty, transcendent, uncreated God. It's exactly what Jesus was doing before Abraham was. I am. Yeah, Jesus was fully God, but Philippians 2 did not consider equality with God a thing to be clung to. Let it go. Submitted himself to the Father, and in weakness, through weakness, demonstrated a power that is changing the worlds, that changes hearts, that brings people from death to life. In giving himself up and submitting himself to the Father, he showed his Infinite power, and God has made this body to be an image of that as we submit, yes, one to another as unto the Lord, but as wives submit to their husbands that the husbands might bless, cover, and protect the wives. And yes, I'm gonna say it, even as women in this congregation understand that there's a headship in the male, not because we're better, we're not. We're often not even as capable in the roles that only we are charged with having like the spiritual authority roles, the role of elder, the role of pastor. We're often not even as capable as women, but we're called to that because of the distinctness of our roles that we might protect, nurture, build up, love, wash the feet of, encourage, hey, lay our lives down for as Christ did for us. Women, children, each other. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of who God is in his Trinity, the Son submitting to the Father, the Spirit submitting to the Father and Son and doing the work that they desire that Christ has accomplished as he brings the finished work of Christ to his believing people and to this weary world. It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity within itself, but also of what Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ. And Satan hates that. He does not want that. So he's trying to destroy it by leveling out distinctions We are the flattest, most distinctless people. I'm not just talking gender. I'm talking we hate hierarchy in the states. So maybe the problem's with the text, but listen to me, and then I apply, and then we're done. Maybe the problem is with us. I'm just throwing it out there. Let God's word, not just here, but in places where it hits you, makes you angry, or you just go, head scratcher, what the hey? Headships, headships. And head coverings, what the heck. Press in. Press in. All true knowledge depends on a previous faith commitment. That's what science science depends on, having faith in the law of induction. Depends on having faith that things are going to happen when I do experience in the exact same way, given the same circumstances. You don't have that faith, you could never do science. All true understanding proceeds from having grounded faith assumptions. To see if the things that proceed from that validate those faith assumptions. And approaching God and his word by saying, I believe this is your word. Teach me. There's something I don't understand. There's rebellion in me, perhaps. Change it. Make me more like Christ. I surrender. That's the way to go. There's power there, friends. Okay, so that's that. Um, Let me just... Say in closing, there's so many things I left. I didn't talk about the angels much, you know. It's okay. We can talk later. Um, Man, there's such worship. Let me touch on it as I close. There's such worship going on. Um, There's such a heavenly reality that is bringing heaven down to earth as we worship the one living God in Christ together here in our homes, in our workplaces in our neighborhoods, wherever we are, but especially as we come together as a people throughout the week in here. There is a heavenly field of witnesses. I believe that's what Paul's saying. The word angel can also mean messenger. It's the same Greek word. Okay, so does it doesn't mean angel, does it mean human messenger? Don't know. An angel's a messenger sent from God, right? So some people, say, if it means messenger, it's the same point. If it means messenger, a messenger's gonna come in and be checking out the church in the early Roman world in the first century and he's gonna witness this glorious distinction between that's a man, that's a woman, there's an order and a hierarchy, there's equal worth, but there's honoring going on and protection and I'm seeing things about the living God through his image, through his body and it's just, It is a witness, whether to human or to angelic, possibly both. Maybe Paul meant it to be a double entendre. Maybe he meant it to be full of more than just one meaning. Whether in heaven or on earth, we are a witness in ways we don't even understand. Whether to a watching world, to someone coming in off the street or here for the first time, or to angels that I truly believe, line me up, do you believe it? I do, are here among us now. And Christ is here by his spirit now. And we're about to celebrate that in a, in, a, in, a, in a different way as we as we take bread and wine together. But um, we, this is a powerful, this is a powerful time that, that Paul says, uh, don't forsake this. It is, things are happening here you know not of. Keep coming, keep encouraging each other, keep worshiping, keep submitting yourself to the word by yourself in smaller groups here on a Sunday. Um, keep feeding on the body and the blood of Christ Jesus. Keep, keep those daily Regular disciplines. More is happening here than you understand. Okay, so less is more. I need to shut it down. So much application, maybe just one or two. Two, okay? Um, You knew I was gonna pick two. Uh, Look, we're more visually triggered men and you're more beautiful women. One thing this is definitely saying is you don't need to wear a head covering, okay? But you do need to dress Modestly, because the point of worship, whether for men or woman, is not to bring attention to ourselves, and if you 're not dressing modestly i 'm going to look at you and i 'm going to think things that I ought not to think, and that 's not good, and it doesn't contribute to worship okay so what what is a principle that is carries through cultures is don't uh, you know, show that you are married by respecting your husband or respecting the men around you by dressing modestly, and that can be cover yourself up so that you're not showing a bunch of skin, but also it can be don't wear a bunch of bling to church, men and women. The point isn't me showing my stuff. And uh, one pastor at Heights said peacocking, whether you're a man or a woman. But women can peacock better because you're more beautiful, period. You're the fairest sex, okay? So we have our own issues. Lord knows. Men have our own issues. This is a text that focuses on women and head covering, so there we are. Um, The second thing I'll say is... um, and also, a sort of direct translation for the head coverings could be, if you're married, show that you're married. Wear a wedding ring. Like, you might have a great reason for not, like if you're a professional golfer or something. I don't know. Is that a good reason for not wearing a wedding ring? But, or a, a bowler, you know? Um, if you're a professional bowler, that's great. I'm glad, God bless you for not wearing a ring. But, you know, show that you're married. Be proud of that. Be, show the world. It'll bless your husband. It'll bless, it'll bless God's body. Um, and the other thing, the last thing is, it's sort of a... <laughs> It's a very broad application, and that is just, like I said, few things are more pressing, hot button, and crucial. I use that word advisedly. It comes from the word cross. In our culture, at this present moment, than believing and embodying and expressing as a people that God made male and female of equal worth in distinct different roles and reveling in that to his glory, not ours. To a watching world, to one another. Look how those men treat their women. I gotta get me some of that. I I just want, I would love for that to be one of our witnesses as a church. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for getting me through this sermon. Um, It might've been a bumpy landing. It might've been a bumpy flight, but you were faithful, you spoke, your word is good, it's hard sometimes, it is the straight line that shows our crookedness, but you came to make us straight, to make us whole when we were broken by giving us your own identity, by giving us your own righteousness, by giving us your own heart and your own spirit, and by recreating us as we trust you and look to you as the only Savior in Jesus Christ. So we bless you. Help us to image you in being what you've made us to be. Not judging an outside world. God forbid it. You are the judge. But beckoning them to come and to find true worth and distinction in Christ alone. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.